Well, it's like a story out of uh, Utopia's nation-building authority, this story coming out of Melbourne's West today. We're seriously going to let two patches of grass... Remnant ground grass, grass hold up a multi-billion dollar nation-building dream. Oh, well, let's move it. I don't think you can. It's not a redwood. Maybe we can build around it. It's or... right in the middle of the construction site. Seriously, I need some options. And right now, one of them is Jim's mowing. Yeah. The pause button has been hit on the future development of 310,000 homes, not an insubstantial figure. Uh, not because of funding disagreements or a lack of construction resources, nor endangered grass, but because of a small earless lizard that until recently was thought to be extinct. It's, of course, not the first time development of an area has been halted over environmental impacts, but as the country continues to bear the brunt of this tightening housing crisis, a block on 310 homes for 310,000 families, I should say, is a bit of a bitter pill to swallow. But is the choice so black and white here? Because you've got, on one hand, housing, on the other, nature conservation. Can we cohabitate with nature or are we fighting a losing battle between a sprawling population and our diverse ecosystems? I'd love to hear your thoughts on this. Uh, if you think there's a third way, uh, 0418-226-576. This text says the case of the earless dragon is a great example of why we need to rebuild our cities to be denser with suitable affording ha affordable housing for all types of households so that development occurs on land that we've already degraded, increasing the infrastructure benefits that are possible in, ci uh, in cities that don't sprawl. Also, the, uh, this text, let me just pull this up for you. It is time for humans to realise that we are part of the environment, not separate uh, from it or above it. We need to find a way to provide homes for humans and keep our natural environment healthy. Otherwise, humans will cease to be uh, eventually as well. Love to hear your thoughts. Join the conversation between dragons and developers, or maybe there is a third way, 0418 Linda Allison is the Chief Executive of the Urban Development Institute of Australia, Victoria. Linda, what typically happens when an endangered or at-risk species is discovered on land that is earmarked for development. Is there a process that needs to be followed, particularly in the case of Victoria, as this is? Oh, good afternoon, Andy, and um, thanks for uh, shining a spotlight on this issue. Um, look, it's, it is fairly unprecedented ground here. We're talking about um, a, a tiny reptile that was thought extinct that hasn't been seen for 50 years. So I don't think there is a rule book for this kind of situation. Um, it is incredibly significant finding. Um, and uh, in terms of uh, the development industry, yes, it, it does have potential impact for future housing and uh, some early early modelling suggests it could be around 300,000 homes. Um, but we actually don't know the scale of the issue at this point. Well, in, if you listen to the developers quoted in the Herald Sun today, uh, they're saying the scale will cost them a million dollars in delays. I mean, obviously they're commercial operators, not and I don't want to impugn this company particularly, but property de developers writ large aren't known for their efforts or, I suppose, strength of conviction when it comes to genuine conservation. Tell me about how the pre-planning uh, can go some way to ensure developments like this uh, don't have these surprises. Do you think this could have been ironed out before the process began? Well, I think it's important to um, note that at the moment, the identification of this um, lizard or dragon is on farmland that is earmarked, pardon the pun, but earmarked for future 
uh, housing development. So it's not like we have this situation where there's houses being built and they've said, "Oops, oh, we found we found a we found a dragon." That's that's not what's happening. Um, it's it's located on a farm at present, and in terms of the the planning process that that uh, takes um, a, a farmland to eventually a housing development. There are um, a number of checks and balances um, in that pre-planning stage for all sorts of issues, including flora and fauna, endangered species, um, conservation and so on. So it has been picked up early. The challenge for this particular one is that the, the process involves two things. It involves um, identifying where the species actually is, and so far it's just contained to one spot. Um, it's potentially very widespread, and that's when you start to look at those numbers around 300,000 um, and, and the, the cost that could come with that. Um, and then once we have a, a grip on where it is and how many there are, that's when we have to look to conservation efforts. And that's when it starts to become challenging for the development industry who um, may have to uh, make alterations to their long-term plans in terms of the, the land that they are looking to develop. I mean, this Bacchus Marsh area is projected to double its population to 50,000 by 2041. I mean, mm -hmm. our cities are becoming increasingly cramped and there's obviously a growing push for regional development. I get that. But if mm -hmm. uh, the developers go, go ahead or get the green light here and certain wildlife corridors are created or bridges or ponds or rock landscapes, what have you, mm -hmm. you'd have to worry about how the ongoing conservation efforts are maintained. Every one of those 50,000 people or a big proportion of them will bring dogs and cats, you get predation, and you can't wind the clock back. Once a developer has been given the green light, once people are living in this environment, it's too late. I'm sure we've learnt those lessons in the past. Well, the people that I work with and the people that I'm talking to about this issue, and, and we, we have many members who are contacting us ab about this particular issue, they're very keen to do the right thing. This is, uh, this is a, a very rare species and, and any measures that are put in place, the industry would take very seriously. There are measures, you, you mentioned issues around dogs and cats. You know, there are estates that, that ban cats, for example. Um, there are measures that could, could, uh, be introduced, but we're not even at that stage yet because we don't even know how many there are, how how big an area would be required, what kind of buffer zones would be required. So it's about, you know, in terms of what needs to be done now, we're really encouraging all of the stakeholders involved, and there are many, to um, work together closely, cooperatively, um, and as a matter of urgency, not just for the development sector, but actually for the species, because the cert certainty is actually needed on both sides. How do we protect this fragile species? And how do we also continue to um, deliver homes that are desperately needed in Victoria? We're aiming to build 80,000 homes a year for the next 10 years. It's never been done before. Um, and, and the crisis is real for housing. Yeah, and I'm not tone deaf to those needs. 310,000 families, uh, that need is very much there. The devil is in the detail. The dragon is in the detail, you might say, about um, how these two kinds of ideas can coexist. It's 23 past four. The Victorian CEO of the Urban Development Institute of Australia, Linda Allison, is here. We're talking about the latest example of uh, the battle between development and conservation, the rediscovery of a once thought extinct Elis 
dragon in Melbourne's west. I'd love to hear from you about this. If you have cynicism about efforts by developers to mitigate uh, the kind of destruction of habitats for these sorts of endangered species, or maybe you've got examples where cohabitation has worked successfully. 0418 is the text line. This text says, yes, nature is uh, not there for just for decoration. We depend on healthy, diverse, intact ecosystems to make our neighbourhoods livable. Uh, this one uh, too from Anne. She says, the earless dragon will go extinct. Humans will not move the humans from the dragon's land. Another one here, sprawling suburbia is like a spreading disease. And uh, the, this one, uh, short and to the point, just build somewhere else. Tell me, Linda, are there any instances in which development will be pulled to, uh, all together or, or is there always a, a workaround in these types of issues? Well, again, I think I go back to my point that this is un unprecedented and you can't just sort of copy and paste what's been done for other species Um onto this situation. So again, it's that we're, we're still in that fact-finding situation. We're optimistic that we can find a solution and that that works for, that can deliver both houses and maintain um, the area. I mean, at this point, it is, it has only been identified in this one particular area and it is incredibly difficult to find. It's an elusive little creature. So the, the work involved and there's some fantastic people working to to identify it um, is really key at the moment. And then we can look at, well, well, what can we do? Tell me more about the pressure that uh, your stakeholders are under to provide housing, because obviously we've come out of COVID. We had uh, the shortages of materials. We had the shortages of labour. You have um, many, many families going without permanent housing. You have a massive shortage of uh, short-term housing, particularly in those seaside Airbnb uh, type of suburbs. T tell me about that pressure because, yeah, I, I think we should acknowledge the need, certainly for these families. Well, at the moment we have incredibly low vacancy rates for, for rentals um, and, and part of that is because people who would like to own their own place simply can't afford it. Um, the compounding issues of, uh, you know, 13 interest rate rises, construction costs, um, uh, just a whole raft of um, issues at the moment have, have just created really um, the perfect storm for unaffordability, unfortunately. And so what that means is that, that governments around the, the country are, are committed to increasing supply. Um, and I hear what some of your uh, listeners are saying around urban sprawl. Um, but in Victoria, we have an urban growth boundary. This idea that that land is being carved, carved up to infinity is actually not reality. We have a we have an urban growth boundary. And for in terms of affordability for people, the best value at the moment is for people to buy houses in the newer parts of Melbourne. Um, now, even that is difficult at the moment because of these cost pressures, um, but it's, it's part of the solution. But isn't, isn't it true that the margins are bigger for developers on the development of, of greenfield site as opposed to more dense uh, developments closer to the city? Well, they're, they're completely different markets and, and, and generally most developers work in, in, in one or the other. Yes, there are developers that work across the spectrum, but I, I think this idea of, of developers making a killing is, is a little bit of an urban myth. Um, right now, we know that we see build, the record number of builders actually going under at the moment. Um, the pressure, the cost of materials and labour um, is 
is exceedingly high. It's a really challenging environment for the development industry to deliver houses. That's what they're there to do. That's what they want to do. And so at UDIA, we're working with the government to get the settings right so that we can actually get more houses of all types from your detached house in a new estate to a studio apartment um, in middle Melbourne. We're working to, to de- as hard as we can to deliver all of those types of housing. Uh, on the text line, someone commenting that the building industry will bounce back, but uh, the uh, flora and fauna won't. Do you want to comment on that? Well, as I said before, the people I'm dealing with are very conscious of this particular issue and and are, are, and are working to, to seek a solution that, that preserves this fragile creature and delivers the houses that we want. Chief Executive of the Urban Development Institute of Australia, Victoria, uh, Linda Allison, great to talk to you. Thanks for your time. Thanks, Andy. ABCRN helps you understand the world. Find more of our stories on the ABC Listen app.